0: I'm all about beans, greens, whole grains, nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables. I like kimchi, but I like it for its complex flavors. I don't depend upon things like kimchi, sauerkraut, etc. to bring me improvements in my gut microbiome. I depend on my fruits, vegetables and whole grains to do that.
1: Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physician's Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. It's going to be kind of a quick hitter type of a show today, but it's also going to be a really good one. Back by popular demand is gastroenterologist Dr. Alan Desmond. He joined us originally for a wide-ranging gut health Q&A on The Exam Room Live, and that is what we're going to be playing back for you here today on The Exam Room Podcast. So we are going to get a little bit dirty here, with Dr. Desmond as we open up the doctor's mailbag. So a lot of great questions were asked too. I felt like we learned a lot. Like, is kombucha good for you? And what does that do for gut health? And how much kimchi does a person need to eat in order to benefit, get some good gut bacteria from that? And can spicy food negatively impact gut health? Is it harmful? Dr. Desmond weighs in on that. Somebody also wanted to know how coffee affects gut microbiome. Can drinking that put your gut health in jeopardy? So we speak about that a little bit. And then Dr. Desmond also talks about antibiotics and how you can repopulate your gut with good bacteria after you've had a course of them. Somebody else was wondering about the ratio between cooked food and raw food and what's the right balance there to keep your gut in check. So we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff. And the audio gets a little bit glitchy at points, but I'm telling you, it is still 30 minutes of really good insight that is guaranteed to raise your nutrition IQ by a point or two. And then after the Q&A today, we are going to hear about... A major jump in the cost of food that's no surprise if you've been to the grocery store anytime of late but what we will learn is why right now especially it pays to be vegan there is brand new data out there that shows just how much going vegan can help you right now as prices are soaring but first It's your gut, it's your health, and it's Dr. Alan Desmond. What's happening, Dr. Desmond? How are you today, my friend?
0: I'm good, Chuck. Lovely to be back with you. And thank you for having me with you again today. It's just lovely, lovely to be here.
1: There is no shortage of questions right now. So let's open up that doctor's mailbag and show that yes, indeed, a healthy gut is a happy gut. So our first question comes to us from Lynn at 1209. She writes, I love kimchi. The one I buy states the serving is only two tablespoons. Is that enough to help with my microbiome?
0: Well, theres um, uh, is it enough to help with your gut microbiome? So when we look at studies of the effects of food, fermented foods and shall we say probiotics supplements on the human gut microbiome. When you look at the studies of the effects of a healthy whole food plant-based diet, so the sort of foods that you might enjoy on the PCRM Kickstart program or on any healthy whole food plant-based uh, program, what we see is that within days, the human gut microbiome starts adapting and changing with this new, healthier approach to food and absolutely loves that diversity of plants and that diversity of Fiber, we can measure the benefits we can see fecal markers of inflammation going down we see fecal markers of health like your um, content of uh, short-chain fatty acids going up we even see harmful substances like TMA which leads to TMAO dropping off and those are very dramatic when you make the change to a healthy whole food plant-based diet very very dramatic indeed when you look at the studies trying to demonstrate the benefit of taking a fermented food or a probiotic supplement, when you look at those studies, the changes, Chuck, that the researchers are able to demonstrate are, to be quite honest, pretty minor. So when I am advising people to make healthy changes in their dietary approach, I'm all about the diversity of plants, I'm all about beans, greens, uh, whole grains, nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables. I would view these uh, fermented foods even like kimchi. I mean, I like kimchi, but I like it for its complex flavors and what it brings my plate. Um, I don't depend upon things like kimchi, sauerkraut, et cetera, uh, to bring me improvements in my gut microbiome. I depend on my fruits, vegetables, and whole grains to do that. So the other issue is, of course, the ferments like uh, kimchi are really quite high in salt. So if you're going to eat a whole lot of them, you're going to be really ramping up your intake of salt, which can have adverse effects on your blood pressure, for example, but can also has been linked to causing uh, gastric cancer. Uh, particularly if you already have an infection in your tummy, uh, which is called H. pylori, which is relatively common in certain, certain ethnicities. So enjoy those two tablespoons of kimchi. Enjoy those lovely complex flavors. But if you're looking to improve the diversity of your human gut microbiome with food, then it's all about the diversity of plants in your diet, not how much fermented foods you're eating. There's a few other things you can do beyond food to increase your gut microbial diversity, though, Chuck. And We can talk about those too if you'd like.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, But first, let's piggyback on that question. Uh, This one is from Jay Anderson, also at 1209, wants to know, how do you feel about taking probiotics if we're eating a plant-exclusive diet? Is it even necessary or beneficial?
0: Well, the way that question has been framed makes me think that I'm on the same page as the person who just asked, I don't see them as being healthy, beneficial, or necessary if you're eating a healthy whole food, plant based diet. There are a few very specific clinical scenarios within my practice where I will prescribe very specific probiotics for a short period of time, um, but really those are you know maybe several times per year rather than every single day. But every single day, I'm asking my patients how much fruit and vegetables and Old grains they consume, looking for ways to increase. Again, the studies on taking probiotic supplements don't convince me at all that they are necessary for human health. Um, like a lot of things, Chuck, there's a lot of money here. The probiotic industry is worth billions. Um, taking a probiotic each day is also kind of got that nice, simple reassurance. I just take this pill or the potion or this capsule and that will fix everything. But genuinely, when people ask me about probiotics, I say, keep that money and take it to the produce section and get yourself some, some lovely fresh produce instead. It'll have a more measurable and more beneficial effect on your gut microbiome, and you'll enjoy it more.
1: Interesting question here from 1211. Does eating spicy food have any negative effects on the microbiome?
0: So, not specifically on the human gut microbiome. I mean, your microbiome just in diversity. So, the the greater the variety of plants in your diet, the more diverse your human microbiome is going to be, and th- that's really important. The human gut microbiome—these bacteria and viruses and archaea and yeasts that live within our arch bowel have been described by researchers as a control center for human biology. Think about that. A control center for human biology can influence that that control center. We can dial it up and dial it down every day just by choosing to eat a healthy variety of plants. If you're putting spices, like she said, turmeric or or anything else in there, you're just increasing the diversity. So I know that for some people, if they have too much spicy food, maybe the heat and the irritant properties um, may cause them some indigestion or gas. That's a whole other issue. But in terms of your human gut microbiome, I don't think if you're consuming uh, spices in normal dietary concentrations, you're going to run into any trouble.
1: Liz at 1212, what are the worst things that we can eat to destroy gut health? Is eating it long-term or eating it even once? I'm trying to go whole food, plant-based, but I still eat meat once or twice a week. My real vice, however, is cheese and chips.
0: Cheese and chips, oh dear. Well, first of all, Liz, let's not make progress or let's not make perfection the enemy of progress. So it looks to me like you're eating a healthy whole food plant-based diet, probably like 20 meals out of 21 per week. So well done. You've made some really, really positive changes. You're going to be able to measure those in terms of your health. You're going to be able to measure those in terms of your gut microbial diversity. So what are the worst things to take for your gut microbiome? I'm going to go with eggs because of all the choline, which will help your gut to make TMA made by your gut microbiome. That's absorbed very quickly and your liver turns it into TMAO, which increases systemic inflammation, risk of atherosclerosis, stroke, heart disease, etc. So I'm going to say eggs and I'm going to say red meat. Why am I saying red meat? Because red meat is the type of meat that is particularly rich in pro-oxidative and pro-inflammatory heme iron which increases your risk of colorectal cancer and also particularly rich in those polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons heterocyclic amines and advanced glycation end products all these pro-inflammatory pro-oxidative carcinogenic substances that often Um, uh, impose their effect on our health, their negative effects on our health by influencing our human gut microbiome. So I'm going to say red meat and eggs would be definitely the things to keep out of your, I don't want to use the word cheat meal, maybe you use that word. But if you're indulging once a week in 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 some junk food, even animal based junk food, those are the things I would avoid for sure. A
1: couple of people now wondering about coffee and what effect that might have uh, on the gut microbiome.
0: You mean this stuff, Chuck?
1: That stuff right there, my friend. Yeah. What effect (laughs) is that having on your gut as we speak?
0: Well, once again, it's just another plant, right? I mean, in terms of overall human health, the British Medical Journal published a great umbrella review about two or three years ago, looking at the effect of coffee intake on human health. And uh, We always had this concept that coffee was your kind of type A, stressed out personality, would give you high blood pressure, maybe a heart attack, etc. But the evidence just doesn't support that. In fact, consuming coffee on a, maybe two or three cups a day is to help to reduce your risk of cancer, particularly liver cancer, and may also reduce your risk of coronary vascular disease. Now, when I look at those studies, I think, well, particularly for people who are eating a standard Western diet and aren't getting very many plants at all in their diet, a cup of joe a few times a day is just bringing in all those phenols and those uh, beneficial phytochemicals that they otherwise wouldn't get. I mean, ultimately, this stuff is produced from beans, right? So it's a beneficial thing. In terms of your human gut microbiome, it's just more diversity for your gut microbiome to enjoy. But it is important to remember, Chuck, that for some people, caffeinated beverages can be an issue. Uh, the caffeine can both act to increase gut motility which is code word for sending you rushing for the bathroom a few times a day. Also, some people may be particularly uh, susceptible to the anxiety-type side effects of caffeine. And feeling anxious can also exert negative effects on your bowel habit and generate symptoms like irritable bowel syndrome. So if you're someone who's particularly sensitive to the caffeine effects, then maybe go for decaf or have a nice cup of tea or an herbal tea or something. So it's not necessary, but if you do enjoy coffee and I do enjoy coffee, Um, it's not going to have negative effects within reason. One exception to that, of course, is um, during pregnancy, it's a good idea to keep your caffeine intake intake low. So I think the experts would recommend maybe less than one cup of weak coffee per day if you are in the middle of a pregnancy.
1: Recently on the show, we talked about a trend where people here, at least stateside, are eating way less food that has regular sugar in it, but are opting for uh, sweet alternatives, zero calorie sweeteners. So this goes to Phoebe's question at 1226. She writes, I've used Splenda for the past 10 years, and now I've read that that is bad for the microbiome. Other than stopping use, what can I do to fix my microbiome faster? So is there a connection there between Splenda and microbiome?
0: Well, these artificial, so for 50 years now, Chuck, the food industry has been using artificially produced chemicals, things like maltodextrin, um, isosor, excuse me, uh, polysorbate uh, 90, carboxymethyl cellulose, carrageenan, and all these artificial sweeteners, these artificial chemicals, to food, which is junk taste a little bit better, a bit sweeter like fruit perhaps, or give it an improved mouthfeel. And these artificial chemicals have no business whatsoever in the human gastrointestinal tract. They can induce negative effects on our gut microbiome. They can also act to degrade our gut lining's natural defenses and have direct effects where they reduce the integrity of this important layer of mucus that covers the intestinal lining and prevents bacteria and bacterial end products from adhering directly onto the lining, which is something you don't want to be happening on a regular basis. So you've given up this artificial sweetener. Excellent. I'm delighted to hear that. What else can you do? Well, whole food plant-based, a great variety, is a great thing to improve your gut microbial diversity and to reduce the pro-inflammatory and harmful bacteria within your gut microbiome. But what else can you do? Besides food, a couple of things. Sleep is important. Getting your eight hours each night, really helpful. Uh, there are some researchers who believe that the human gut microbiome helps to set our daily rhythm, our diurnal rhythm. The bugs in our microbiome, act, they function on the same diurnal rhythm as we do. So get your eight hours sleep. It seems to help gut microbial diversity. Physical exercise is important. So getting exercise on a daily basis is important. Nice study a few years ago from the university I qualified from, University College Cork back in Ireland, where they showed that athletes, they were professional rugby players, had an increased amount of the friendly, fiber-loving bacteria in the gut that ferment fiber and plants and produce beneficial compounds like short-chain fatty acids, regular exercise. And further research showed that we don't have to be an elite athlete to get those benefits. Our gut microbiomes will benefit from regular exercise. Spending time in natural environments, our gut microbiome ultimately, Chuck, comes from our environment, from our surroundings. We pick up these bugs from the environment that we spend time in. And by getting out in woodlands or gardens or forests or natural environments, you're getting, well, back to nature. And you can improve your gut microbial diversity by spending time in nature. And the final thing I would say to improve your Gut microbial diversity and to protect your gut microbiome. You've already removed this splenda, this artificial product. You can also help your gut microbiome by just avoiding unnecessary medications, particularly unnecessary antibiotics. Now, antibiotics are wonderful, they have added years to our life expectancy. Without antibiotics, simple things like a dental infection or a chest infection would be almost universally fatal. But there are so many infections and problems that people will sometimes take an antibiotic, you know, just in case, just in case it gets worse. Or even when their doctor tells them, look, you don't need an antibiotic. If you don't need it, if your doctor thinks you don't need it, then don't take it. Take it if you need it. If you don't need it, don't take it. Unnecessary medications, including antibiotics, can have a pretty significant negative effect on the human gut microbiome. So, those are maybe four or five other things you can do besides your food to improve your gut microbial diversity.
1: All right, we spoke about kimchi. Let's talk about another popular K food, or in this case, a drink. Susan Song at 1231 wants to know Are you a fan of kombucha?
0: Again, I like the taste, it's yummy, it's unusual, it can be quite sweet, it's got a little vinegary um, taste in it, um, but I'm sorry to say the studies on the effects of kombucha on the human gut microbiome, and the studies on the effects of kombucha on human health, I'm sorry Chuck, they just don't convince me. So they're another interesting part of a varied uh, whole food plant-based diet, they're tasty. If you're out with friends and if like me, you don't drink any alcohol, maybe having a little kombucha is it make, marks the occasion. Um, so a nice social thing to do. But in terms of improving your health, I'm sorry, all you kombucha fans, um, I, I don't see the overall health benefit.
1: Yeah, you're breaking hearts today, man. Um, Amelia at 1231. I know.
0: I, I was going to hold back <laughs> there, Chuck, but look, I'm going to go with the science.
1: You got it. Man. Shoot straight. You, you have to shoot straight. Uh, Amelia at 1231. I really try to eat a whole food plant-based diet, but I'm very sensitive to a lot of veggies. Also not able to do a lot of raw fruits and vegetables. Might have SIBO from my symptoms, I don't like meat, but have so little choices of food. Do you have any recommendations of how I might make that transition? Complicated question.
0: Sure. Sure. It's a good question, though. And I think, first of all, I would say that when people make the switch from a uh, standard Western diet to a healthy whole food plant-based diet, in 90 to 95% of cases, their gut health improves. They never come to see me you know, they never go online, they never grumble about it, or, you know, because they're doing really, really well. And the science supports that. But for some people eating a healthier diet, particularly um, if they've grown up on a standard Western diet, and we know even the kind of healthy version of a standard Western diet may still only include, you know, 28 to 30 grams of fiber per day, when you make the switch to a healthy whole food plant based diet, you may be consuming up to 45 grams of fiber per day. And with more fiber, comes more fermentation. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. With more fermentation comes more gas and more fluid and more liquid. And that can cause problems. That can cause digestive symptoms and discomfort, etc. What I would suggest to um, your listener or the person watching is that they might just have a little online search about FODMAPs. FODMAPs are these fermentable carbohydrates. They're called fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. They're in healthy foods as they should be. They are healthy things. Humans can't digest these carbohydrates. We depend on our gut microbiome to digest them for us. The human gut microbiome actually loves them. And when it's done with them, it generates lots of beneficial compounds, lots of short chain fatty acids. But for some people, certain uh, types of um, uh, FODMAP may be an issue, and it may be something as simple, Chuck, as slightly reducing one's intake of garlic, maybe avocado, and maybe you know fresh fruits and not overdoing it on either of those four things, which will generally reduce some of the most common FODMAPs that can be an issue. But we mentioned this on the podcast as well. So I do with my friends, Stephen and David Flynn, who are awesome plant-based chefs and Rosie Martin, an awesome plant-based dietitian. We run an online course called the Happy Gut course, which specifically goes into that issue. Um, Because FODMAPs are really healthy food, they are really healthy things that are in really healthy foods. You don't find FODMAPs, bacon or steak, which are super unhealthy foods. But for that reason, people who are experiencing those types of symptoms may find themselves making unhealthy choices with their diet because they feel like those foods aren't causing so much fermentation or so much bloating. And what we did with the Happy Gut course was that we set up this reduced FODMAP approach with all this online content about the human gut microbiome, but it's whole food plant based from day one. So you're on a healthy, varied, whole food, plant-based diet, but you're also learning about which FODMAPs you tolerate well. Now, I have to say for most people, they won't need the Happy Gut course. And simply looking online at FODMAPs and maybe reducing them a little bit. Um, So for example, you may have someone who has avocado toast every single morning and they use garlic and onions in every single dish. And if that's you, then just reducing those may solve your problem.
1: All right. Time for a couple more. You good to take a couple more questions? I feel like you're on a roll here. I don't want to stop.
0: No, that's okay. If I'm talking too much, just shut me down, Chuck, because once I start talking about health, I tend to, you know, go on a bit. Well,
1: two things. One, when you speak, it's absolutely fascinating. Two, the more you talk, the easier my job becomes. So keep on talking, my friend. Keep on talking. (laughs) Give me the day off. Uh, All right. So we spoke about antibiotics uh, a little bit ago. Uh, AC at 1233 has a great follow-up. Wants to know, how can I improve my gut health after I take antibiotics?
0: Absolutely. Well, look, if you need antibiotics, you need them. I I, I don't want to Nessature antibiotics are bad for you. They're really beneficial. And if you need an antibiotic, you need an antibiotic. But it does also affect your gut microbiome. And we spoke earlier, Chuck, about these things you can do. So a healthy, varied, whole food, plant-based diet, eating the rainbow, eating a complete variety of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, absolutely fantastic. We saw from the um, human Gut Project, which was published just a few years ago, where they'd analyzed the gut microbiome of over 11,000 volunteers, predominantly from the US and the UK, but internationally. And what they found was that the number one dietary determinant of a healthy human gut microbiome is the diversity of plants in your diet. So focus on that first. And then the other things we mentioned, getting your eight hours sleep per night, um, avoiding other unnecessary medications or unnecessary antibiotics, getting some regular exercise, spending some time outdoors, in natural environments. These will all give your gut microbiome the best chance of making a full recovery.
1: A few people are wondering about the balance between raw foods and cooked foods and what the ratio should be in their diet. Do you have any insight on that?
0: Well, one of the benefits of eating raw foods and raw fruits is that particularly with some raw fruits and vegetables, we had some questions earlier um, about probiotics and fermented foods, which I view is just like a tasty addition. To your diet rather than something that's necessary but this same beneficial bacteria can be found on the surfaces of many fresh fruits and vegetables Um, so it's useful to have some raw fruits and vegetables that might just be snacking on apples and other fresh fruit whatever's in season or having just you know some crunchy vegetables on the table but just like the overall message where as you know chuck certain nutrients are better absorbed from cooked food and certain nutrients are better absorbed from um, raw foods. So vitamin C comes best out of raw fruit and veg. Um, carotenoids, you absorb them a whole lot if you're a cooked fruit or vegetable. So it's it's just a balance. And I think if you're getting fifty percent, if fifty percent of the food on your plate or fifty percent of the fruit in your shopping basket looks like a fruit or a vegetable. Whether you're cooking or raw, just whichever way you like it. I mean, the best fruit and vegetables to eat are the ones that you enjoy in variety. So I don't have a strict um, rule about how much cooked, how much raw. But it's it's again, it's just good to mix it up and find your own way. Whatever you, suits you, whatever you enjoy, and whatever keeps you eating those fruit and veg, I'm happy with.
1: All right. Now, I said that we were going to get dirty during this segment, and I'm I'm going to be a man of my word here. <laughs> Susan Song at 1241. Does one's stool reflect one's gut health? What is considered to be a healthy stool?
0: Oh, what a great question. And as I said to you during the podcast uh, last week, Chuck, if people were more open about talking about their bowel habits, my job would be so much Easier. (laughs) Everybody loves talking about food. Every Sunday supplement in the newspapers at the weekend has the restaurant reviews and the recipes and the food. But once we've swallowed the food, we're like just too embarrassed to talk about what happens. Everybody eats. Everybody ferments everybody poops it's just a fact of life so we should be we should be comfortable talking about these things so a really interesting um little anecdote about this so about 12 or 14 years ago at bristol royal infirmary hospital which isn't too far from where i work and live here in the southwest of england they designed something called the bristol stool chart and if any of your guests want to really get into this any of your listeners just Google it up, the Bristol stool chart, and that shows a full-color picture of everything from a terribly hard, constipated stool to a kind of a watery, mushy, unpleasant thing. And they graded those from types 1 through to 5, and they, they determined that a type 2 or a type 3 stool the optimal stool, what we should all be aiming for. So that was maybe 15 years ago. So about three years ago, um, a team of gut microbiome researchers conducted a study to look at the correlation between gut microbial diversity and a healthy gut microbiome and the old Bristol stool chart. And guess what? They found that the type two to three stool also had the best microbial diversity. So for a gut health microbiome nerd like me, that is a beautiful circle, more than a decade between the origination of the Bristol stool when we didn't really know anything about the gut microbiome and this gut microbial study. And yeah, so a type two or three stool is where you want to be.
1: All right. And final question comes to us from Richard at 1236, wants to know, what do you eat for breakfast on a typical day?
0: Well, um, I vary it up. Um, I love oatmeal. So I'll have oatmeal several times per week. And during the winter months, I'll, I'll do like a hot oatmeal. Um, during the summer months, I'll do an overnight in the fridge, you know, with some fruit and dates. And sometimes I, sometimes, sometimes I make my overnight oats with coffee instead of plant milk because I get the coffee and the breakfast in a one go. But this morning, and what I've been having lately for breakfast, is I get a nice slice of like a pumpernickel or rye bread, that really dark, dense German-style stuff. And I'll toast it lightly, and then I'll cut it into. On one half, I'll do like a mashed banana and some nuts. And on the other half, I'll do like some hummus and maybe some greens, uh, maybe some microgreens or, or whatever, whatever's in the fridge, Chuck, you know, or somewhere else I'll just have a little bit of my leftovers from lunch the previous day. So yeah, I, I mix it up quite a lot, actually. Tofu scrambles, another good one at the weekend when I've got a little bit more time to spend in the kitchen.
1: Ah, that sounds heavenly. I'm coming. I'm going to book a ticket, fly all the way across the pond and come join you for breakfast. How about that?
0: Well, I check, Chuck. You're exact. If you leave now, you can be here in 21 hours, according to Google Maps. Okay, so I'll see you for breakfast. Sounds good.
1: Yeah, all right. Well, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, All right. Uh, Okay, so uh, that's all the time that we have for the mailbag, but uh, you are going to be speaking, as we said, at ICNM, the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, and that kicks off tomorrow. We know that you're going to be speaking about Crohn's disease. You also mentioned that you're going to be speaking about a study that tracked 100 health professionals and how they were able to reduce their cardiovascular risk over the course of 28 days. Without giving too much away, can you tell us a little bit about what it is you're going to be talking about there, and, and and
0: how this happened. So this was a project that I designed with my friends Stephen and David Flynn of the Happy Pair and some local GPs in my area. So I talk a lot at local medical conferences and meetings with the bits for plant based diet. I had the opportunity just before Christmas to speak at two huge conferences, mainstream medical conferences, and I did like a good hour, Chuck, on the benefits of a plant-based diet. I was speaking to GPs, family physicians, nurses, physiotherapists, dietitians. They were all omnivores, Chuck. Many of them had never heard of Dr. Bernard, if you can believe it. So I presented all of that research to them all these benefits of a whole food plant-based diet. we talked about obesity and type two diabetes and heart disease and resistance and colorectal cancer and all of these conditions which we in the Western world in high income countries view as inevitable. And I said, look, a whole food plant-based diet can prevent, halt, and even sometimes reverse these conditions. So I challenged them to take on a whole food plant-based diet with no calorie counting and no portion control, no measuring, just cooking and eating for 28 days. And I got them to track their body weight and their cholesterol and their blood pressure. And the results were pretty. Impressive, And as impressive as the results were, the real change was opening um, my colleagues' eyes to the benefits of this sort of dietary intervention. So it really lit a lot of enthusiasm in my local area, Um, enthusiasm, which we continue to build on, because it's fantastic to get health professionals doing this. So we had over 100 health professionals take part in this challenge. But really, we want to get these benefits to our patients. So we're, we're working on that right now.
1: All right. Now, before I let you go, I, I absolutely need to ask you about the Happy Gut course that you're involved in. A lot of people in the chat box are you know, raving about that. So for those who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about that.
0: So if you are someone who is eating a standard Western diet and you've been diagnosed with uh, irritable bowel syndrome or digestive health issues similar to that, if your doctor has told you that, and if your doctor or your gastroenterologist has said to you, ooh, you should try maybe this low FODMAP diet thing, you'll be disappointed to find when you look online that often a low FODMAP diet is an unhealthy diet, which depends on meat, eggs, and dairy for calories. So with the Happy Gut course, what we've done is we've taken the two things that can be really, really beneficial for irritable bowel syndrome. We've taken a high fiber, varied whole food plant-based diet, and we've combined that science with the science of FODMAP elimination and then stepwise introduction. So we have a six week plan, we have recipes, we have gradual reintroductions, we have food diaries and the recipes are awesome. They're done by my friends, Stephen and David Flynn who really know their way around a plant-based kitchen. And we also have, uh, so I'm in there supporting the group. We have Rosie Martin, my friend and colleague who is an awesome plant-based uh, uh, plant-based dietitian. And the re, although we put so much work, Chuck, into the recipes. And the online content and the videos and the educational content, the real power of the Happy Gut Course has been our incredible online community. So we have four and a half thousand people in that online community now who are all trying to or aiming to improve their digestive health while eating more plants. So thanks for asking about the Happy Gut Course. It's been a real pleasure for me to be involved in it. Um, So every day I'm getting these awesome messages from people taking part in the Happy Gut of course and we've had some tremendous success with it.
1: ICNM begins August 6th. That happens to be the very day that this episode is being released. So, if you're listening to it bright and early, one of the first people to download and listen to the show, it is not too late to sign up for this super nutritious 3-day conference. It is really designed for doctors and nurses and practitioners, basically, people who can get CME credits. But that doesn't mean by any stretch that we can't still all nerd out and learn together. The conference, it's just amazing. I have never heard of anyone in all my years attending this conference walk away unhappy, doctor or otherwise. I've actually had the opportunity in previous years to meet a number of exam room listeners who have gone to the conference and come by to say hi. I wish that we were doing it in person this year but circumstances being what they are we are completely online and that's okay too we'll be back in person in 2021, knock on wood. But here's the speakers for this year And you can watch everything in your pajamas. That's kind of the cool thing about the virtual event. Here's who will be speaking this year. So you've got Dr. Desmond. He's going to be there. You just heard from him. Dr. Neil Barnard will be there. He's going to be talking about a bunch of things. I think he's presenting all three days. One of the topics on day one is nutrition and sex hormones. He's going to be doing that presentation with Dr. Christy Cobb. Also on the speaker lineup, Dr. Michael Greger will be there. Dr. Kim Williams will be there. The super fun rock star doc from New York, Dr. Shivam Joshi, he will be there. You may not know the name, but if you go back and listen to our kidney health podcast from a couple of weeks ago. You will hear him on there, and that will whet your appetite to hear him speak about the connection between plant-based diets and kidney health. It's really fascinating. Plus, the guy's just a lot of fun. Love him to death. Dr. Vanita Ramon. she will be there presenting on nutrition and hypertension and culinary medicine. And the hypertension thing, high blood pressure, that's huge right now. Given the close ties that that has to COVID-19 and the severity of cases with that. Important, important presentation. And I especially, I especially love this one. Doctors Walter Willett and David Katz, this will be on day two of the conference. They're going to be getting together. They will be presenting a, a show called What's Behind Nutrition Controversies? making sense of the science. Can't we can't we all use a little bit of that? Doesn't this nutrition info get a little bit confusing at times? Sometimes it seems a little bit conflicting, and sometimes you hear the keto diet's great, and then you hear the Atkins diet is great, and then obviously we have all of this data here that says neither one of them are particularly wonderful. It's all about the plant-based diet. So how do you make sense of all of the nutrition controversies and make sense of that science? Doctors Willett and Katz, they will be telling you all about that on day two of the conference. And you can register right now at pcrm.org ICNM. Go ahead and register August 6th through 8th. You will not regret it. This is three days of some of the most enlightening information ever put together in a single conference. Now, before we wrap things up today, I teased this at the top of the show. Some interesting news that I wanted to share. This headline, because being vegan is proving to be cost-effective during the pandemic. While the price of meat and dairy are skyrocketing at the grocery store, produce prices are remaining relatively stable according to new figures that have been released by the government. Since February, the price of beef and veal, they've soared more than 20 percent. And the cost of eggs, that rose 10 percent, and people are paying 9 percent more for chicken and pork. However, health-conscious shoppers are finding far less sticker shock in the produce section. Increases for vegetables, they've been limited to just 4 percent, while fresh fruit prices the jump there, just 2%. That's a big time difference. I was recently reading this article in the Washington Post, and they were interviewing a gentleman who goes grocery shopping only about every month and a half. He lives in a really remote location. And so he goes into town and he goes to the costo every every 45 days or so, and he loads up his cart with enough food to feed his family for that month and a half. And he said that when he came down and he went shopping a couple of months ago, the bill was around $600. But this go around, in just that short time, his bill jumped to $1,000. And he was largely buying the same thing. Of course, he was buying a lot of beef and chicken, those meat prices that just kind of went through the roof and eggs. And that made a huge difference in the cost of his grocery bill. But then that got me to thinking about the millions of people who just lost the $600 a week jobless benefit and how much every little bit right now can help. So you eat healthier and you save a little money and you even maybe save on healthcare costs. So you've got a lower grocery bill and better health. Well, that to me seems like a win-win. Indeed. Goodness gracious, 20% or more. A jump for beef and veal. And then fruit prices only jumping a tenth of that. 2%. Pays to be vegan right now. So don't let anybody tell you that being vegan is too expensive. Next time somebody tells you that, just give them those figures. Also, don't forget that the Barnard Medical Center has expanded and is now accepting patients in Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Indiana. That's all very exciting, right? Those states were added just last week. They joined newcomers Florida and Georgia as well, plus the rest of the healthy roster, California, New York, Maryland, Virginia, right here in Washington, D.C., Missouri, Arizona, Colorado, Massachusetts, and Kentucky. That is the fleet. More than a quarter of the country at this point. And all of the plant-based doctors and dieticians there would love to help take your health and your diet to the next level. I call that being a next level vegan. So go ahead and make that appointment right now. You can do that via telemedicine. Just like ICNM, you do not need to leave the comfort of your own home. You can do this right on your computer. You have nothing to lose and only your health to gain. So make that appointment today. Visit barnardmedical.org or pick up the phone and call 202-527-7500. We've gone ahead and posted a link to that in the episode notes as well as the phone number. And don't forget to subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee if you haven't done so yet. And please also leave a five-star rating. And bonus points to you, my friend, if you share the show with your friends on Facebook and Double bonus points if you share it with a Facebook group. We need your help to get the word out because every new subscription that we get, every five-star rating that we get, helps get this show and this information, potentially life-saving information, into the ears of those who need it the most, those who are ready to change. And I am not shining you on when I say that every subscription... Really helps to make the world a healthier place. So, if you could go ahead and subscribe, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And that's going to do it for us today. My thanks again to Dr. Alan Desmond for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe take a stand, and keep it plant-based.